You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Well, me, and, me and Miles agree that melody is the most important part of any song. That's what people are singing back to you. You know, they're not they're not tapping out double bass kicks or or you know harmonizing arpeggios with you back vocally. They're singing what the, what the words are and what the vocal melodies are. But yeah, whether it's a saxophone melody or a vocal melody or a guitar melody, you know, if you're listening to Baker Street, you know that that's a great melody. That's melodies to me are the most important thing. And it pissed me off when I was young in my career and people would be like, you know, you're a guitar player. I'm a songwriter. I'm a melody writer. I'm a songwriter. I'm a songwriter to the core. That's way that comes way before guitar playing to me. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of 2020. I'm Siobhan Cronin here as always with my cohorts and co-hosts, my friends, Corey Peza and Benny Goodman. How's it going, guys? (laughs) It's going great. Going great. So we're back for part two with the incredible Mark Tremonti of Alter Bridge of Mark Tremonti, formerly of Creed. We got into a lot of amazing things in part one. So go check it out if you haven't yet. Also good. (laughs) Yes. Also Paul Reed Smith. And has a mandolin from Paul Reed Smith that nobody else has. Yeah, there's a lot of guitar porn uh, in this episode and the last one. So if you're not, if you're just listening, make sure you go back and check out the YouTube. It's lots of cool stuff. Mark's hanging out in his studio. He's got all sorts of cool things going on. Um, yeah, a lot of visuals for sure. Just just like part one, you know, getting to hear someone like Mark talk about his passions and and how he approaches music is is a real treat for us. And sharing Miles Kennedy with the Zeppelin guys and Slash. So just listen. I mean, he this, this guy's yeah. a legend, and he's super nice. Like. If you're ever going to meet your hero, this is the one to meet. Mark Tremonti, part two. Subscribe. Hello and welcome to another episode of 2020. My name is Corey Peza. As always, I'm here with my co-host, Cohorts in Crime, Siobhan Cronin and Benny Goodman. How you guys doing? Hey, I'm good. How are you doing? Doing great. Hey, hey. Very, very excited to welcome back for part two, Mr. Mark Tremonti, the guy who I was learning all of his riffs off of like an old crappy boombox when I was like just getting into guitar. So thank you for helping me develop my ear. I appreciate that. We didn't have YouTube at that point. So it was like, <laughs> pre-internet. Wait, that, yeah. I gotta, the song's back on. The look's going to come up. Okay, here it is. Okay. All right. Let's try it. <laughs> so obviously, um, you know, Alter Bridge, your solo record, the legendary band Creed that people may have heard of. Um, we had a great first episode kind of diving into, you know, what's going on. But I want to I want to catch up right now with what you're working on now. Um, you have a, a new solo record in the works. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. We um, we have a record coming out this year. I don't know exactly one yet. We haven't been done the big release yet. Because when still- you say we are you like a schizophrenic like like because i feel like when wolfgang van halen says he has a solo record it just means him do you have like different sections of your brain where you're like i'm the bass player today or do you actually have a group of people that are nobody nobody can do it alone i I can't do it alone i need my uh you know eric friedman and my manager tim turnier and um brian bennett and, and tanner owens my my bandmates um you know i even writing in a bubble is tough. I do it all the time, but when it comes down to doing a record, I have my ideas and I have to have, I have to bounce them. I have to be like, all right, I think this is great. Do you think it's great? Yeah. All right. It's going on the record. You know, it's, uh, it's tough to live in a vacuum. You know, you have to, you have to 
Well, do you surround yourself with the assholes? Because I, I, I personally don't like my friends that like any of my music. In fact, the reason that Corey is even on the show is because he always tells me everything I, set, I send him sucks. And it's made me such a better musician because it's like the, the less I annoy him and the less he goes, well, I, I think I can fix this. The more I know I've done something great. <laughs> you know what? You got to have thick skin is what you're saying to be a songwriter. Or live in Boston. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's you know if you're going to be a songwriter you better be prepared to have people not like one or two things that you think is the best thing in the world you know yeah that's what well, it's when you start a new band <laughs> right when well, that's interesting because in the last episode you referenced this that your solo project was kind of born out of the fact that you brought all these ideas to your to alter bridge and it was like oh no this one's not going to work whatever and so that was kind of the birth of the solo project so i'd be interested to hear like how you actually got it started, and of course, getting back to the current day and the record you're working on. But um, yeah, maybe talk more about the development of the actual solo project. Yeah, once, um, so Miles was doing a, uh, we did a Creed reunion tour where we pretty much had to tell Miles, hey, let's, we're going to take um, eight months off or something. So Miles had connected with Slash about with, uh, touring with him. And it turns out, when the Creed tour was over, there was about three months overlap where, where Miles was going to be busy. So I was like, this is perfect. I'm going to call, call Eric Friedman, one of my, you know, pretty much a little brother I never had, and say, let's uh, record a record just for fun. As we're recording it, like, man, this is, we got to put this out. You know? And then we reached out to the record label and got, a, you know, got the record label support and put it out, and now we're on our fifth record. So it was born out of just, Hey, miles is busy. I've got all these riffs and all these songs that I've written for, um, so many years that the guys, it's just too metal for them. So let's, you know, I've got these choruses that I love and I've sang to my producer a hundred times and it just doesn't fit this band. He's always told me that you should sing it. So this is the time I'm going to do it. Well, let me uh, ask you this, man, because you, you know, you, you said something that, you know, miles went off and there's three months overlap where he's with slash now, do you go see the show and think to myself, uh, think to yourself, he's cheating, like my girlfriend is cheating <laughs> on me with this other really handsome dude and does it make you go back and try even harder or is it inspiring to think that you see him doing stuff on his own or does it not even affect what you're doing with your own solo career? Oh, I think, you know, when you're in your first band, your first successful band, I think everybody's very protective of that band and nobody can go anywhere. And if you do something, you're kicked out of the band kind of a thing. Like but, Van Halen. You know, any, we hear that story so many times. And even in the early Creed days, it was kind of like that. Why are you talking to a guy in another band kind of thing? <laughs> but now, now, uh, now that Alter Bridge was kind of born out of guys in different bands coming together, it's all out the window. We, we just support one another. Like when Miles, uh, you know, I remember, um, we were all hanging out in the Alter Bridge bus and, uh, Miles gets a phone call. He's like, oh, excuse me, guys. It's Jason Bonham just being funny. Like, he <laughs> <laughs> walks downstairs, and he had been gone for a while, and I went to go grab a beer or something, and I go down, and I see him, and he looks like he, looks like he lost his kitten or something. He, was about, he looked like he was about to cry. And uh, I'm like, you all right? You all right, bro? He's like, I I'll tell you in a minute. And then when I went back down, he's like, that was Jason, and he asked me to come jam with Led Zeppelin. Well, not the Led Zeppelin guys, but you know the guys from Led Zeppelin, calling himself something different. And uh, you would think I'd be terrified. I'm going to lose my singer to the best band that's ever lived. But uh, 
you know, at those moments, you're just looking out for your buds. Like, why am I going to hold this guy back from singing along these legends? Um, Do you think to yourself, like, I would think to myself, like, okay, I lose miles, but I get backstage pass to meet Jimmy Page. Yeah. So, fuck <laughs> it. I've went, I get to see Cashmere six feet away. I guess I can, I can Alter Bridge was a great time. No, I, I, I lose miles, but I get to say that I was in a band with a guy who sings with Jimmy Page. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fair enough. It's all perspective. That's a great spin on it. <laughs> I love it. I love it, dude. How does- awesome is it being in a band with someone that you that Jimmy Page thinks is good enough as a singer <laughs> where he might actually steal them? Like it's like, wow, my girlfriend really is the hottest girl in the room. <laughs> well, I I think um somebody said that uh I don't know if it was Jason or somebody who said you gotta check this this um Miles Kennedy guy out. <clears throat> he pulled up a clip of us doing cashmere. Oh. Um we did a we did cashmere at the download festival. Uh, way way early in our career, nice. and we didn't realize at that point that you don't go to England and play Led Zeppelin covers. <laughs> <laughs> we did it anyways. We didn't know it, so the crowd's kind of quiet. But you know, that, I I love the the version that we came up with of that song. I think Miles killed it. Oh, that's I think they actually saw us perform, which is a well. Who had the last wow. laugh now, yeah. England? Like you guys, right. are like no. <laughs> They're all saying like the dudes at the, like, the metal show, like you're not. Cliff Burton, Jason Newstead. And then meanwhile, it's like Jimmy Page is like, oh, all right. All right. I'm not going to put the firm back together. Let's get this new thing. I'm going to call Jason Bonham and Miles Kennedy. Oh, yeah. You know, it's uh, because of your cover of Cashmere that you reinterpreted your way, which you got to think in your head has to be some form of badassery where Jimmy, you're like, Jimmy Page saw what I did. I think he already knew. I think Miles already had the you know, the chance to play with him just because on, on his own merits of just being a great singer. But I think that was just a good demo of what he could do, you know, with the uh, Led Zeppelin hat on. Sure. And he killed it. And he came back, you know, when he went and played with him, when he came back, I'm like, so how did it, how did it go? I mean, tell me everything. And uh, he's like, it went, it went well. It went pretty well. <laughs> he was excited about it. So, I can imagine. Yeah. 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 So him being off, um, you know, like doing the the slash stuff was what you know you mentioned got you into really pursuing the the solo stuff and you know throughout the years especially with this new record like what has as a sound like do you do you go in with a you know I, you like keeping things fresh you like you know trying different tunings and stuff do you have any sort of approach on each record that I'm gonna go for this direction or is it just this is what's been coming out of my head lately and this is what I have you know saved up for this new record that's what I'm gonna go with. Mm-hmm. Um, I try to, uh, like on the, on the last Alter Bridge record, I tried to go down the rabbit hole on finding the weirdest loop I could find and trying to start a song writing that way. Like, um, there were a few songs where I would, you know, if you go on YouTube and you just look, look up like loop, sometimes like a rapper loop will come up like a royalty free, um, freestyle rapping loop. And you're like, all right, hold a minute, play that. I'm going to play guitar to it. And there's probably a dozen ideas that I came up with just doing like, rapping loops and wow you, that's such so interesting i would never think to do that it gives you it gives you a, obviously a different feel um but if you strip those loop, loops out and you play the song you wrote over it as long as you're not copying a chord progression it's just a vibey thing it can inspire you to do a lot of different things like um the single one of this one of the songs off of our new record that's coming out this year was written from playing along to a, a loop and just morphing it into my own thing but the initial feel and the vibe came from a loop so 
I write from either just setting a metronome and using my right hand, like I said before, or mm-hmm. taking a drum loop and not just taking a do 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 ga do ga do, but taking a badass drum loop. Like uh, mm-hmm. there's a guy on YouTube. Oh man, I wish I I wish I knew his name, but he writes some of the badass ass drum loops ever, and they're so inspiring. They go all in all different directions, all over the place. But if you just set the tempo, 100, you know, 120 beats per minute, whatever loop this guy comes up, and every time I see his big black and white logo behind his loops, I know I'm in for a treat when I'm going to write to it. Um, So I'll either do the loop, or then I go down further down the rabbit hole, and I like to go to the 80s synth wave stuff, the John Carpenter kind of zombie movie kind of sound. Hey, right man, look at the keyboards behind me, bro. Like, let's get analog, dude, and let's go to the Terminator yeah. One soundtrack. That, by the way, did you know that that was in a weird time signature because the dude just fucked up the um, <laughs> was the story. sequencer? Yeah, he just fucked up the sequencer by like one, like I think sixteenth note, and turned it like you know thirteen eight or something ridiculous, just because oh. they fucked it up. And but it's like the coolest eighty sounding thing. But you're like, why is that so jarring? It's like, oh, because it's in a ridiculous time signature because the dude just didn't copy it right because it because analog which song was it? the terminator one soundtrack if you go and listen to the terminator one soundtrack they had they, were, they figured out when they were going to try to orchestrate it to like you know for like a live performance they're like how did you write this they're like this is so weird and the guy didn't actually know why it was so fucked up and then he realized that he had cut off like one sixteenth note and made this ridiculously jarring <laughs> So if you listen to the original Terminator soundtrack, the yeah. keyboard riff is the loop is the loop yeah. is bizarre. But it's a cool bizarre. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, come on, man. You saw yeah. Arnold punch the hole through the guy's stomach. That movie rules. One of my favorite movies. I just can't remember that. Well, now you should go back with new fresh ears yeah. and be like, holy <laughs> shit, I've watched it seven million times and I didn't even know. Trust me, I'm doing that tonight. No, actually, I told, I told my kids I'd watch the, the Purge, my older kids. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> it's, a, it's a nice family film. Yeah. Well, I made my I made my daughter watch The Sixth Sense last night, and she thinks she's so smart all the time. She's like, "I bet you the boy's dead." I'm like, "Keep guessing. Keep get. You think you know? Come on, sixteen year old. You know it all. You don't know M Night Shyamalan. Not 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 this movie. Wow, someone that can watch The Sixth Sense and actually be thrown by the twist. I was in, so in 2021. That's amazing. Right, it be, right. But yeah, because everyone ruined it for the entire decade. But it's so right. old now by comparison that there are actually people that don't know how to ruin the ending. <laughs> yeah, that was a great twist. Yeah, and then nothing ever again for me. I, I loved M Night Shyamalan for that one movie, and then it was like Unbreakable with Bruce uh, Willis again, who I love, and then Samuel L. Jackson. I'm just like nah. And then Signs with Mel Gibson, who I also love, yeah. and still nah. Ah, uh, what was the one where you? Me. Oh, science was. Well, how about the one the town or the village or the one where they? Oh didn't? yeah, yeah, the village. I gave yeah. up before that, man. It's kind of like you know after <laughs> Pantera. It's like I didn't get. I know Mastodon's awesome. Are you? Uh, like are you, I lost it in my heart. <laughs> are you like a horror movie guy? Like my, my older brother was, so he had all the Fangoria magazines all through his room. So it looked just like a big murder scene in his bedroom. And, uh, <laughs> oh my, yeah. So I would just like he was a big wrestling fan. He was a horror movie fan and wrestling fan. So I knew all the wrestling stuff. I knew all the horror movies. Now my kids, like, Dad, what's a scary movie we can watch? I'm like, they're all R. You can't watch them. So I'll sit there and, I'll, and I'll, I'll have to watch a movie first and then fast forward through anything inappropriate. But uh, they'll sneak and they snuck and watched that new Iron Army of the Dead movie without me knowing it. And uh, oh. that looks pretty cool. I haven't seen it yet, but the guy who did Dawn of the Dead. It's um, on Netflix, right? 
But yeah, my brother was a huge, you know, he'd watch Evil Dead and then Reanimator and all the cool old school 80s horror movies. So, Well, Bruce Campbell's the best. So everyone, anyone that's ever watched a horror movie, like Bruce Campbell is literally, I have an Evil Dead signed, Evil Dead 2, excuse me, the, the good, the best one, signed by Sam Raimi and Bruce Campbell on my wall. And of all the things that I have, it, it may be the thing I value close to the most. Wow, that's, that's sick. That is that is all. I've got the army and, of uh, and, and, and cheers to your brother for having such yeah. amazing taste in B films. I have the army of darkness book that the, the demon book signed by him too. I'm oh, kidding. Yeah, <laughs> oh, say, that's fucking crazy, dude. You pulled out the guitar to top my mandolin. Yeah. Well, I actually brought a guitar that I thought that this time is before Paul Reed Smith that you might actually get excited by. It's an 1845 Aubrey Marie, the same guitar builder that built Schubert a guitar. So I happen to have this thing. I just got it not too long ago. I actually have an 1840 Martin uh, 318 on its way here, which is the oldest Martin that I've seen outside the Martin Museum. So, But this one uh, is all original other than this dude put a new fingerboard on it, and he wanted to hit a high C sharp, which it's guitar stuff. I don't know what that means. Uh, but it's held together by a magnet inside, so actually this piece of the, the fretboard comes off. But if you Oh, I see, thing, yeah. It's all hand inlaid. And it's ridiculous, but 1845, and it sounds unbelievable. So I just thought I would, you know, pull that one out. And for all the drummers out there, if you ever want to play banjo, <laughs> I play again in drop slide A tuning. But did you know that Ludwig made banjos? This is a Ludwig 1927 banjo. So for all those drummers out there, here's something new for you: the Ludwig banjo. How does it now, sound? Now I'm done. Now, thank you, Ludwig. <laughs> wow, that's nuts. 18 what 45 1845 man and the thing is it's all original no cracks um brazilian rosewood uh but the funny part is it's built like a, a violin so the inside is spruce with a vanilla uh, brazilian rosewood veneer on the back but the sides are solid and it's like the inlay on it looks like it's paul reed smith doing a dragon except it's from 1845 so no cnc machines guys yeah that's nuts <laughs> This is definitely a bait, but it's only because I've realized that God has bestowed upon me to be the Indiana Jones of guitar right now. Because the other day I went to a guitar show and these two dudes were there and I look behind me and there's a train track and there's a little old timey phone and there's an old timey um, tube radio. And I'm like, what is this? It turns out it was the first pickup ever made by Les Paul. And I'm in Natick, Massachusetts in this crappy hotel. Like, and I'm just like, what? Is this for real? And then I go and look over there, and then there's a Les Paul with the Les Pulverizer that he used to use to play all. And I'm like, what's going on here? And it turns out that these two dudes are going around that were Les Paul's best friend. This guy, Jimmy, gave Les Paul's eulogy. Like, that's how close they were. And for 30 years, Les Paul gave him stuff for a rainy day. So when they, you know, auctioned, his manager auctioned off all the stuff, that wasn't the cherry-picked stuff that Les Paul gave to this dude who was a police officer that he knew wouldn't, you know, sell it to a guy for a yacht, quote-unquote. I found out that nothing of this has been archived, including, like, the 499 takes that he first did for multi-tracking to get to the first song, Lover. To, uh, none of the... Uh, the pickups or any of the music he wrote, none of it's been archived. And he just has boxes of this stuff. And he's been sending me pictures of preamps, the first mixer that Mary Ford and him used. He's like, it's all here. And he's got, I don't know what any of it does. And I said to my buddy Jimmy now, and we're buddies now. 
who's basically the gatekeeper to uh, Les Paul's estate. Do you know who the best person on the entire freaking planet to demystify the Leonardo da Vinci of guitar building and all this crazy recording stuff in my mind is that's living right now, Mark Tremonti? What guy do you know who knows more about building things, understanding how things work, likes vintage gear, likes recording than anybody else on the planet? Ari Smith? (laughs) How cool would it be to bring Paul Reed Smith to explain all of these things from Les Paul. So I actually spoke to the people that now are the, the, the gatekeepers to this, and I've reached out to Beverly, and she's reached out to Andrea Paul's guy, but I'm hoping to bring Paul to explain Les, and tell me this, if this is not the best pun of all time that serendipity has not bestowed upon us, Les Paul Reed Smith. <laughs> if that's go. not the name of this, yeah. I don't know what it is, but I wanted to mention it to you because I I like getting into the other mode. And 1955, uh, Les Paul is a different style of music than I've ever heard. And now that I listen to Metallica and Megadeth so much, I'm loving Les Paul and Chet Atkins. And oh, I would yeah. love to go and learn about all of this, let's say, with a guy like Paul Reed Smith. Paul would dive deep into that and he would figure out what makes that pickup tick and he'd figure out the science behind it all he loves doing that he is i've been thinking about it you feel like an 18 year old kid when you talk to him about that stuff you get on a conversation with paul and he'll just go on all these tangents about all these magical things that he's dove into and that that would be a perfect project for him you keep him busy for the next five years off of that I, well listen i was talking to beverly about you know like maybe you want me to be representing your company because i'm so important like paul reed smith needs me because like obviously why Screw this Tremonti guy. Screw this Miles Kennedy guy. Carlos Santana. Those guys don't know nothing. Benny Goodman. <laughs> so, like, I understand I'm not the top of paramount importance. But then when I got this, I called Beverly back and I said, Beverly, sit down. And she kept saying, like, I'll let Paul know. But then she kept asking more questions. I'm like, you're just ex- as excited because I'm sure. And I don't know Paul. I've only met him a few times. And every time I've met him, he's been like a giddy kid to explain things to me. So I, I'm the same way. So we know our own. He actually asked, the first thing he asked me, he goes, are you a guitar rat? And he's like, don't be offended. That just means you, I'm like, I know what it is. And yes, yes, <laughs> I am, Paul. And then he, he took me by my small head and dragged me to listen to a prototype amp. And then I turned it to like 10. And he's like, interesting why why did you just pin it I'm like i like metal bro so you should get used to that that's how i chest every and he was like hmm and like i've never i was it was the best moment of my life was paul reed smith asking me my opinion about anything so i said to myself if i could ever repay this gentleman back for that moment i'm gonna <laughs> do it and then with the les paul thing i'm like you know what these guys don't work for Gibson. Maybe Paul Reed Smith, since he's like the freaking greatest guitar builder of our freaking time could figure out what all of these things do because I certainly do not. I want a sweet switch because I don't, I can't control tone knob. Yeah. What do you, you get, think, Mark? You get your sweet switch out of all that, I think it's worth it. Give <laughs> him over all the old school historical stuff for him to look at. Just tell him in, in return you want your sweet switch. I want to install on this guitar. Yeah. You do it. It would be extra sweet. I'll <laughs> <laughs> make so, you whatever you want. So there's that. <laughs> there's that. <laughs> um, so uh, I wanted to get to one thing, which is, you know, this, this show is called 2020 because we started it 
2020 because we're very creative people. Um, <laughs> and essentially, we got 2020 in doing it because, you know, like most people, we couldn't really do a lot. We are in a band called Lost Symphony. Um, we're, we had a few records we're putting out, but obviously, touring. With some guitar is not- players, he may even know. Cause he, yes. I feel like Mark is one of the the real guys where all these guys are like, yeah, dude, I totally listened to like you know War D Martini growing up. And you're like, name three songs. Mark is like, I will name <laughs> three thousand albums. <laughs> so I feel like Mark, you might actually appreciate this band. I feel like Siobhan should sell it though, because she's way better. Like, I don't know. No, I think you're way better at selling it. I mean, no, yeah. but uh, no one wants to hear. I me think talk yeah, everyone's anymore. very tired of hearing Ben talk already. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I checked it out. It's it's definitely it's definitely badass it's uh yeah i mean it's part metal it's part uh, symphonic there's a lot of classical influence almost kind of like movie trailer but it's still kind of vocal like there's it's not vocal music there's no singing but the guitars kind of take over the vocal line so who did we make you play with siobhan because i feel like that's where he'll start realizing we put you Um, the chess master against all the chess pieces yeah so we played with marty friedman um alex skolnick was on a song that we just released ben you tell us more you're, well, you're the I mean, guitar aficionado Bencourt, here. So right? for me, for a while, he was the goat, obviously, because uh, I'm from <laughs> Massachusetts and my fiance is from the Azores. So if you can tell. Um, but then uh, we had Jeff Loomis came and played. We had Satchel. Mm. But the thing that's really cool about this and the, and the new record that's coming out um, is a tribute to our friend Ollie Herbert from All That Remains, right. who passed away, um, who was a really good, close, like real friend of ours that we, you know we knew before all of this. And everyone that came out from you know Marty Friedman to Nuno to Alex Skolnick, um, you know, and he, we actually even jammed with your, I, I know, you know, Rusty Cooley, um, you know, Rusty yep. played on one of our, our, our song, uh, records. Um, but I feel like, you know, knowing what I've heard from you about you from other people in the guitar world, like you might actually appreciate this. <laughs> Absolutely, man. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I, I check it out and it's all definitely, it's not stuff that you can pick up the guitar and play in three years. It's very sophisticated, <laughs> awesome music. So that's, I got, I appreciate it. It's, uh. It's definitely you guys have done your homework to put this together, and it's, it's badass. <laughs> the irony is we totally did it. Only yeah. Siobhan. She yeah. cheated for everybody. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And actually, the funny part is like the reason she got hazed by Marty Friedman, this is a true story, was because I assumed, because I listened to Marty, that he must be classically influenced and know all this music theory. Whereas Marty's like, I listen to the Ramones, yeah. and I love Elvis. Didn't know that. <laughs> so like, I, I thought, like, hey, Siobhan, be all technical and cool. Marty did not like that. Marty's like, that doesn't sound right. That sounds wrong. And I'm like, what do you mean? And Siobhan had to like sidestep and be like, it's not technically wrong. <laughs> but we, that's, I didn't realize because, you know, there's just like you, there's so many great guitar players that come out there. But what makes them so great is they just hear it and they make it their own. But meanwhile, they're listening to Elvis or whatever at home. And I think it's great to draw from those inspirations, but then inspire a whole different group of people with oh, yeah, Cacophony yeah. and Megadeth. How about yes. Loomis? Matt Lou, uh, Loomis and that group of guitar players, man, he's, uh, he's dude. He's a, the most disgust. Listen, he's disgusting. He's like, the most vocal. He's the most vocal. It's like it's like his guitar is singing over every track he's done with us. It's amazing. Yeah. Nasty for sure. Nice guy. I've only I've only ran into him a couple times, but very nice guy. So yeah, yeah This episode brought to you by Lost Symphony. Right. Check it out, LostSymphony.com. <laughs> One big rant about Lost Symphony. <laughs> um, no, you guys, you guys hitting the road. Oh, we wish. <laughs> It's hard because it's we're, we've never really all been in one place. Yeah. That's the funny thing is it was kind of like a giant collective of people that are all over the world, you know. So it's to, it's like to the make coronavirus a ban before coronavirus. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah, it would be cool. We'd have to figure out how. Get over to Europe. You know what we yeah. need to do? We need to get um, a hologram of Nuno. 
Because if we could just have like Nuno, but like the Tupac Shakur, but like, but Nuno instead, like who cares about anything else? Just have him come up and play, play with me. And then we'll just leave the stage. It's <laughs> worth the show. And we can have Beethoven emulating it at the same time like Bill and Ted, and then we've just saved the world. It's just kind of like, you know, when you're fighting with Creed, and then Eddie Van Halen walks in and gives you a guitar. Like, how fucking mad can you really be? Refer back to part one for the original story for anyone that's listening. Because I feel like no matter what you're saying, like, I'm not mad anymore if Eddie Van Halen walks in and goes, here's your Matt Black Wolfgang. By the way, my son's going to play awesome on your record. Those guys could have still been mad, but I'm the one with the guitar, right? Right. <laughs> True. Oh, yeah. You won that one, yeah. guys. Anyways, <laughs> what I was uh, getting to when I initially said that, so we obviously, you know, touring isn't an option, but we were still musicians and like trying to figure out what to do during like the lockdown and everything. We decided to do the podcast because we were we've been fortunate that we've had these players on Lost Symphony. So we have these, but we only knew them through their music. So like, oh, we should talk to these people and like kind of get to know them and, and hear them out. So that's been great. Obviously, now the podcast has developed a bit more. We've we've gained some steam. We kind of we we don't suck quite as bad as we did the first you know fifty or so episodes. Um, but for you, uh, and one of the questions we asked a lot of those people, you know, when you know the virus kind of shut everything down and you know stopped most of the world how did that affect you personally i mean I, I see you sitting in that beautiful studio so was it like a godsend of as far as like getting writing done or what did it really throw a wrench into things for you uh i mean a lot of things happened for this this year for me i um i had a baby girl you know congratulations so congratulations what's her name stella oh, i love that name beautiful so uh yeah, she's three months old now. So during COVID, when everything's going nuts, I have a pregnant wife. So I was a little, a little nervous, you know, but we were yeah. good. Um, we moved. So I moved from my other house back into this house. And uh, um, I mean, I, I had so much downtime to when I was moving. I painted the whole house and I did a walked through with my builder. And he taught me how to fix all this stuff. I spent a lot of time fixing up the house for sale and kept myself busy one thing i got into guitar heavily and then i fell off the wagon i uh i did i i think just like a lot of people during uh covid i just got depressed i was like man this is just bumming me out um i just didn't have the desire to go pick up my guitar and write something at the time so i went i went a good like three or four months where i hardly played the guitar um i mean i played but now i'm back on the wagon again um when i get into when I get into songwriting mode, which I was trying to do, I fall off the guitar playing. Mm-hmm. Songwriting for me is a totally different thing. I'm not trying to be a technical player. I'm trying to be and trying to invent something that doesn't really take a lot of technique sometimes. So my guitar playing gets kind of falls off. So then I got to get it back. Are you sure your guitar playing falls off or that you just become more of a guitar player because of the notes you don't play? Because I feel like that's so important <laughs> for people to realize. And you you said like bands like Animals as Leader and Periphery and all that. Yeah. And I love those bands. But one of the things that I guess I don't appreciate as much as I did um, about, I, mean, I, I guess this is like the old fogey, like, oh, Dream Theater, man. They didn't do too much at once. But like, is the restraint, is knowing to play <laughs> more for a vocal melody than just going, well, I guess I can hit every note like Jeff Loomis, so I shall. You know, I think there's both, you can hit it both ways. I love to be able to do, you know, if I could, you know, play guitar like Jeff Loomis, I'd be in here every day doing it because he's a... He's we a, all would, Mark. Yeah, you know, he's, he's insane. And that's, uh, 
you know, it's just gotta fo- you got to follow your, your passion. What gives me passion is writing that vocal melody, writing that song, singing that song. Um, that's why the solo thing has been such a good thing for me because I love singing. Singing is one of my favorite things. Did you get Miles back for being a great guitarist? Because I heard you sing and, uh, when I first saw your solo band. And I got to tell you, like, look, I... You know, I guess I'm just nihilistic. I'm like, everyone sucks until they don't. Like, you're guilty until proven innocent, as far as I'm concerned, especially with music, because I'm like the dude with the arms crossed. Like, I hate you, like, whatever. And I remember seeing you and be like, holy shit, he's singing that? Because you got some fucking pipes, bro. Like, did you? Did he ever walk in and, like, actually be, like, the same thing as, like, I must have thought, like, when you, when you he played jazz for you, walk in and go, oh, my God. Did that really? moment happen? Did you get to say, I told you so? No, you know, I've always, you know, Miles has always heard me sing because as songwriting partners, I'm saying, you know, I'm singing these parts to him. And so he's heard me and he's always been very complimentary. You know, he's like, you, you should, you know, me and Miles are both very, uh, uh, you know, sh- shy when it comes to presenting things to the world. So he's always telling me, you know, I'm a better singer than I think I am. And I'm always telling him the same thing about his guitar playing and his singing. Um, but I think I think most wait a guitar player and a singer that don't have lead singer's disease and are so humble that they're like literally taking on each other's styles for the next record because you're like I'm gonna write what I think Miles wants to sing and Miles is like I'm gonna write what I think Mark's gonna like That's and like an now your producer's completely confused. That's right. You know what? I That's think fucking it- rad, dude. You guys are like the opposite of every band ever. You know what happened was Miles was a guitar player first. And the reason he started singing is because he realized, I think, sing- some of his singers were a pain in the ass and not showing up to rehearsals or whatnot. <laughs> so he's like, I'll sing. Um, Miles actually, there's a video of this hovering around somewhere, but he joined a guitar competition in the Pacific Northwest with like 150 contestants, and he took first place. This was wow. back, way back before. Was Dimebag sick? I don't know if he. No, I'm just mess. I'm just miss. I'm just messing. I just know that he like won every guitar contest, and like obviously, I think Miles is unbelievable. I've watched all of that nerdy YouTube footage. That's why I said that because he's disgustingly good. He had the big hair. He was going amazing. (laughs) It's like the William Duvall thing from Alice. Alice and Chains was huge, like the almost Jufro thing. I love it. I'll go and uh, you know, I think the second or third record, I remember writing a solo and going. all right, this is just be a great spot to harmonize this line. And I did this descending, I think it was, it ended up being a B side on the record, but it was a pretty, one of my quicker lines, the descending runs. And that son of a bitch picked it up in just a few hours and mimicked me and harmonized me and nailed it. So just as technical as I could be, he picked it up, you know, and uh, he's, he's definitely a, a very, and his vibrato, Miles' vibrato is one of the best I've ever heard. I mean, it's, perfect it's great you could say that about guitar and singing and that's the obnoxious part is you don't even need to know it's a double entendre to me i'd much rather hear i'd much rather hear somebody bend one note with great vibrato than than burn arpeggios well you you mentioned a really good thing because i always quote the same quote is and i and i said this to a guy like alex skolnick even and you know remember the guitar world where they used to always say like you know they'd ask one question and you'd have like 30 different guitar players answer and the question this one was like what you know what's your favorite guitar solo ever and it's like mr crowley randy rhodes or you know uh, Jimi hendrix all on the watchtower and trey anastasio said that you know i won't tell you my favorite solo i'll tell you my favorite note and it's in uh Jimi hendrix the power of love live 1970 at the fillmore and he says he said more in that one note to me than the entire rising force ingve malmsteen record and now i don't know if that's true because i love that record but at yeah. the same time to th- 
it was a, such an interesting dichotomy to me to think like, wait, did that actually? When I went back and listened to that note, and man, that note rules. I, I'm gonna hear. I gotta hear it now. I don't know that note. <laughs> I mean, unless you're like Trey, you took way too many drugs, bro. <laughs> maybe maybe you were just chipping out with Jimmy, which I understand. But I, but I agree with you in the sense that like it's really important about the notes you play, but also what you don't play, and that's why your guitar to me has always been so again melodic. Is because you do allow for, and you've explained it now, for the vocals to really shine. Whereas there's a lot of guitar players you're competing with that guy that's standing. Yeah. Oh yeah, well, me and me and Miles agree that melody is the most important part of any song. That's what people are singing back to you. You know, they're not. They're not tapping out double bass kicks or, 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 you know, harmonizing arpeggios with you back vocally. They're singing what the, what the words are and what the vocal melodies are. Um, but yeah, whether it's a saxophone melody or a vocal melody or a guitar melody, you know, if you're listening to Baker Street, you know that that's a great melody. That's melodies to me are the most important thing. And it pissed me off when I was young in my career and people would be like, you know, you're a guitar player. I'm a songwriter. I'm a melody writer. I'm a songwriter. I'm a songwriter to the core. That's way that comes way before guitar playing to me. The only I was gonna. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I was gonna comment on that because even speaking about this year, it seems like you're very intuitive with doing what feels right at the time when it comes to music, you know? So you don't feel like you're into guitar for a couple months or whatever because you, you really want to be into songwriting. It seems like you are really flexible with kind of going with the flow, with what feels good and, you know, what, what you're, you know, it feels intuitive to you at the time. So I think that's probably why you're so successful with all these projects in many ways is just not being locked into that I'm a guitar player, I'm the vocalist, or I'm the songwriter. There's a lot of compartmentalization, I think, in a lot of projects, and it can be stifling, I'm sure. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think um, you have to be excited about whatever you're working on. You know, I, I forget what book I read it, but it, the guy was pretty much like, successful people have gumption, and you have to have gumption, you have to have that desire. And if you're playing guitar because you're trying to be the best guitar player all the time, but you're just not feeling it, I don't know. You gotta, I think you got to, Go wherever you're inspired. Well, listen, man, there's a lot yeah. of guys that are the best guitars in their mom's basements. So, like, I mean, you know what I mean? Like, it's funny because there's been so many times where I've met guitar players and they blow me away. But then it's like, but look what you're doing, man. Like, you're driving a hoopty and you're literally working at Walmart. Like, and I'm not but making not fun of people even. who drive a hoopty and work at Walmart. But, like, you know, if you're playing, well, no, like, perfect arpeggios, like, you should be doing something better. And that always tells me that the greatest players have something inherently wrong with their minds. <laughs> <laughs> but it's not necessarily that. I think the the point is that us as musicians often get trapped in what we feel like we should be doing, you know, and especially like I relate to this in classical music. It's like, oh, you're only as valuable as what concertos can you play? And are you practicing three hours a day? And sometimes you're just that's not what you feel like doing. You're more you know? than just a, not, a concerto to me. You're the Olympics encompassed. <laughs> no, but a lot of times we lose joy in the art in, in making music and we get bogged down in, you know, sort of the logistics of stuff or like, what should I be doing? And I, th I think it's really hard to keep that vision and to stay intuitive with what feels right, you know? Yeah, got to be inspired at all times. And when you pick it back up, I think you get right back on the horse after a couple of weeks, you know, and sometimes you, you improve. Um, but I got to the point that this... You know, during when I'm on tour and I'm sitting around and I got nothing else to do, I'm playing guitar all day long. I'm playing eight hours a day and then I'm playing on stage. So I'm playing a lot of guitar. I'm playing to the point where my wrist hurts and my fingers hurt every time I'm playing and I have to stop because my wrist hurts because I'm playing so much. When you're Don't Vito brought us, bro. Don't do that. Like White Lion could have been so much better if they just continued on. Yeah. But he was yeah, the best. 
Joe Brada was insane. But then he had the lightning bolts yeah. through his hands because he played too much like you. And then next thing you know, he can't play anymore because he has lightning bolts in his hands. Did he completely stop playing? I, I think he had stopped playing for a while because he had been playing like eight, nine, ten. He's probably like playing thirteen hours a day because Steve Vai's playing nine, and that like he was having problems where he couldn't. He was just getting shocked up his his arms because of how much he was playing. So, uh, yeah. But if you listen to White Lion, they're awesome. <laughs> That'd be brutal. Imagine practicing that much your whole life, and all of a sudden you can't do it. Yeah. Or like you could be like Jason Becker, where you're the best in the world, and they're like, by the way. Which is why I tell everybody, and we've been trying really hard to help raise money for a guy like that, but like whenever I need to be inspired, like if I ever think to myself, I have writer's block or something sucks, I go back and watch like the four-minute clip that ABC has made about the story of Jason Becker, and then I watch him yo-yoing as he's playing better than I ever will when he's like 17 in Japan, and then I go and practice a lot harder and say, shame on you for ever doubting that you should be doing this right now. I bought that instructional tape back in the day where he's yo-yoing, doing the, <laughs> doing the clinics. My favorite lick that I learned from Matt was when he was doing a little, um, it's hard to explain without a guitar, but the, the little, you know, like the, the outside inside picking thing he does. It's like absolutely insane. That's almost, yeah, it's like economy tread sweepy thing. Yeah. He was nasty for sure. Uh, he's, you know, I, I think I, uh, yeah, me and Pyard Smith donated a guitar to his last uh, fundraiser on Lever. Just uh, I think. Oh, that's awesome. Well, that's freaking great, man. And 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 that's also one of the things that uh, it, that also made me so excited about the Les Paul thing because when I met those guys, I said, "Do you ever do charities?" Because they were, you know, they had so much cool Les Paul stuff, and they're like, "Yeah." I'm like, "Well, there's this dude Jason Becker who's we're, everyone's trying in the community to raise money for," and. They thought he was my friend. They're like, "Oh, Benny, take these gold records or this." I'm like, "No, he's not just my friend. He's the freaking Mother Teresa of guitar." And they didn't even have to hear me say anything other than he needs help. And we're already working with them to put together a package of Les Paul stuff because I don't know about you, but the feel good story of the year to me, in my mind, when I'm just you know high Ding, is the infinite spirit of Les Paul giving back to the very much alive family of Jason Becker. Makes Absolutely. me feel warm and fuzzy. Absolutely. Anything that makes you feel good, you got to chase it down like that. You know, he's, uh, you know, like, like you said, Jason, who was on top of the world, killing it, all of a sudden, you know, gets ALS and gets it all taken away from him. It's just a, it's just a heartbreaker. So anything we can do for him. Yeah. yeah. Now what a totally. sad story. And, and if there's, Corey, if there's a link that we can put on this, we should definitely do that because, you know, his family are awesome if you guys go anyone watches this go go back if you don't know who jason becker is because the irony is is that i i not irony but the sad thing is that a lot of people don't know about him you introduced me to jason they, becker i would they never can knew who definitely he was. empathize because everyone had knows someone that has been aff afflicted by something as horrible whether it's als whether it's ms whether it's alzheimer's like we all can relate what that's like but you know being a guitar player and knowing that this guy did climb to the top of Mount Everest by the time he was like younger than you, anyone listening pretty much. Um, and then couldn't feel his hands anymore. It, it's one of those things where you go, Oh my God, this needs to be stopped. And it inspires me to want to be better because he can't do this anymore. Like I can. So shame on me if I don't try harder. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And he's still doing it here. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Isn't well, that crazy? Crazy. Yeah. Well, in the spirit of doing things better, 
let's let's get back to Mark because I want to ask a few questions before we run out of time. <laughs> but getting back to your solo project, um, it seems like you're incredibly organized with the ideas or with your process. Like, how do you like keep track of all the different writing ideas you have? And is it do things end up kind of piecemeal where you come up with an idea and then an idea that you have like two months later, you realize fits with this other idea? Like, I'm curious because when I sit down to write. First of all, you know, I'm thinking about all the rules, which is a problem. But then I also try to write complete stuff at once. And that can be stifling. And I think that it seems to me like you probably are able to pull things together from different times and different projects. Yeah, absolutely. It's um, So what I do is I, I get on GarageBand and um, I have to have this super old version of GarageBand because it has this labeling system of like 100 symbols there. Um, so what I'll do is I'll write, let's say I come up with, 30 different ideas in one night. I'll the next day I'll listen to them and I'll categorize them. If it sounds like a course, if, if I don't, if it doesn't give me the chills or I don't like it, I'll erase it immediately. But if I like it, I'll, um, I'll say, all right, this sounds like a chorus. I'll tap tempo it out and see how many beats per minute it is. I will, um, I'll tell myself exactly how I play it and what tuning it's in. And I will go to my course file and say, this is a course, 125 beats per minute. It's an open D five. And and then I'll have I'll play it, and I'll look for the cut in my take. And after the cut in my take, it will say exactly how you play it. Because if you don't tell yourself with all these alternate tunings, you'll find you'll hear some chord voicing or some way you did something. You'll never be able to replicate it, and you'll feel like you've lost a little bit of your soul. I you know? feel like if there was anything in the two hours of us talking that mm-hmm. you just telling that workflow, like that spoke. I, I know it spoke to all of us because that first off is brilliant. Secondly, I mean, I write more stuff that I forget about and I'm like, and I do listen to stuff back and I assume that I'm going to remember how to play it and I don't even know how to play it. Like it's way above my pay grade, even when I'm playing it the first time. I just and learned this lesson too. And the fact that you are so too, yeah. organized and that you do that and that you have that system that you built, it explains why you're a, song, a songwriter slash guitarist and not a guitarist slash a songwriter because that's what a songwriter does is that they, they compartmentalize. This is a coda. This is a chorus. This is a bridge section. This is what I'm going to tie from this. This is how we modulate and you have made your own system of that and the way you just explained it it was like you accessed a different part of your brain to be like well this is how you make a hit and that was the yeah. master class with mark tremonti oh, thank you you know it's and it's 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 something only i would if you looked at my garage band you'd have no idea what i'm what yeah. i'm doing but if tremonti you look, code if you look down, <laughs> down the left column column of my garage band it goes in um speed so that it'll be it'll start in like the 70 beats per minute up to, you know, 200 beats per minute on the bottom or whatever it is. But I have these codes. There's a little green spaceship that you can pick to put on the left side of your thing. That means this idea is out of this world, right? <laughs> got this, you've got this explosion. That means this idea is the bomb, right? You've got just the speaker. That means this idea is so-so. If you listen to it again, throw it away if you don't like it kind of a thing. Um, but, like, I have whole files of chorus ideas, bridge ideas, verse ideas, just musical ideas that don't have anything but music to them. Um, and then I will, uh, if I really like an idea, I will immediately take that idea and go through all my files and see. I'll, if I have a chorus I like, I'll go to my verse files, which is probably like eight files full of maybe 50 ideas, and I'll go through and pick my favorite ones, try it, and see if it works. If I don't find anything, I will just put on a drum loop to that beat per minute, and I'll just keep writing and writing and writing until that song is, is done. But hopefully I usually have two pieces to go on before I go down the journey. Of so finishing. what you're saying is you're like the American Ninja Warrior of co- composition. 
That you're like well, going to Mount Midoriyama, climbing up to the top. And you're like, I got, I got a verse over here. It's at ninety, yeah. but somehow we'll get down you to love eighty. Slamming that analogy into any context I love you possibly Ameri- can. Well, everything I think of in Pantera <laughs> records and American Ninja Warrior, like I have to think about it in guitar terms. So, like I could think about it, like that literally must be the most ridiculous level of doing that because I, I mean, I DJ which is not impressive, but I think of things in BPM. So I go, okay, Jay-Z's around 70, and we could do uh, Earth, Wind, and Fire's around 118, and how do we get there? And he's doing that with like his own songs in his own keys, putting them together with emojis, and he's writing number <laughs> ones. That's the emo- awesome. The emojis keep me using garage band version. I don't know what it is from Apple, there. listen to this shit, which they're totally not. Well, Alexa's listening. So Alexa, tell Apple. That they should fix GarageBand so that Mark Tremonti, the, the multi-platinum artist that sold, I don't know, 50 million records, 60 million. I, I could cut off 10 million and you'd still be way better than everyone I've ever met. Give him the emoji back, guys. He needs to be able to organize his ideas and he just told everybody how to do it. Give it back. I'm like the sweet out, switch Paul Reed Smith. I'm running out of room on my computer. My GarageBand files have gotten so big that it's taken up all the space. I've gotten rid of all my movies, gotten rid of all, everything on there except <laughs> for my GarageBand stuff. And it's starting to say low space. And it's freaking Oh, out. no. Oh, Time no. for an external hard drive yep. or a second external. <laughs> Please but tell me you have an external hard drive. You're not like Kirk Hammett that loses your iPhone and then Metallica's <laughs> 15 records are gone. Because like that's just sad. At first, I'm like, that's <laughs> yeah, that's go. funny. But then they, then it's like, but we could have had sure, so yeah. much good Kirk Hammett music. And, and make sure you have those backed up on more than one hard drive, too. Yeah. Doesn't he Save get the, uh, the cloud? Does he does he not to the cloud with, with iPhones? Don't they have a cloud? Like, isn't there a Metallica album in the cloud somewhere? <laughs> I don't trust the cloud. I, I feel like I'm going to go access it and it's going to say, no, you have, there's a problem. Your password isn't right or some Do shit. you have cameras around yeah. your house? I do. Yeah, dude, some some Chinese guys laughing at you for seven yen a month. I'm, that's how I feel when I like sign up for all that stuff. I have cameras everywhere. I'm like, they know what my ass looks like. They're broadcasting it on a telescreen somewhere. Like, so like, how did we get we here? We're safe. Ben, Alexa's listening talking. to the Apple. Is listening to the cloud. Like, this is irrelevant. Irrelevant. All right, stop. Okay, let's get back to what we were talking. <laughs> no, the, but this, uh, this proves go. a good point. That's not to jump on you, Corey, yep. but you know. Obviously, you have to harness the creativity that happens in the moment, but being organized has got to be super helpful because I know that I suffer from this all the time where it's like, oh, I have this great idea and I label it piano idea one and it ends up somewhere on my desktop or on some other laptop. And then my husband is like, what the fuck are you going to do with all these piano ideas? And like, you don't know what key it's in. You don't know how you played it. And then you never end up using it because it's just in some file somewhere that's lost forever. (laughs) So. My phone is like those ideas. My phone is just one big mess of ideas that I don't want to get to because there's so many ideas that it would take me a year to organize it, and they're never going to get used because it's not organized. So that teaches me a lesson. All the phones. Well, maybe stuff, you should be a yeah. pimp where you you're like like Jimmy Iovine, where you go to like Tom Petty, and you go like, "Hey, man, Stevie Nicks could use that song you ain't using." Oh, no, dude, that's a throwaway. No, you you need to start writing like Prince. You need to have a Manic Monday or a, nothing compares to you, Mark. Like, I want to hear you write songs for Cardi B and have them be number one. And like, Tremonti wrote that. What? Yeah, he's like Prince, bro. That's Cardi- the next level for you. You need to be transcendent to the next level of composition. If Cardi B calls, you're going to hear some Cardi B shredding. It's <laughs> <laughs> kind of talking about the songwriting aspect. And obviously, you do a ton of studio work. Can you talk a little bit about the more technical side of production? Like when you're putting together a song, how much thought do you put into like the actual arrangement and instrumentation 
Um, and when you're experimenting in that, what, what's your thought process process on keeping it, you know, open enough, but also heavy enough. And like, how do you approach songs in that aspect? I will first try to tackle it myself and I'll take, um, I'll take what I think is a, uh, is the core of the song, whatever the best part of the song is, I'll work everything around it. So say I've got a, a, a verse that I think is great. I'll try to come up with some kind of introduction to the song, whether it be a riff or a chorus preview or a solo, whatever it is, I'll put all the parts on it on one page. So I'll have my chorus, my verse, my bridge, and then I'll have however many riffs that fit the vibe and fit that groove. And then I will, um, piece I'll, I'll do one takes of them all. I'll put on a drum loop and, um, I'll just play the song from start to finish with an arrangement, take another arrangement, take, take, put this riff here, that riff there, experiment with it. And I'll do a bunch of arrangements and then I'll listen to it another time. Um, one thing I really believe in is uh, getting away from your ideas and listening to them at another time. Cause you might think something's great um, because you're completely invested in it and you're, you're, but you got to hear something fresh when it's not fresh on your brain to see how, if it's going to be, you know, it's going to be something that people appreciate right off the bat. Cause if you listen to something two weeks later and you just don't get it, nobody else is going to get it. But right. do you feel like you ever get the opposite? Cause I feel like there's a lot of times where I'm like, I fucking hate this. And then like two days later, I'm like, wow, this doesn't upset me. That's true. And that's yeah. like, that's as good as it gets for me. It's like, <laughs> it, that doesn't upset me. And if I send it to Corey and he's like, all right, I'll get this in the queue. Like, oh my God, I have fucking genius going. But like, I, I feel like it's the opposite for me. Like I, I hate things. And when I hate them is usually when I turn them back on and I love them. When I love them, I'm usually just like, and I throw them immediately out. I'm, like, I'm an idiot. No, I don't, I don't ever get to that point. I never, I, you know, I might hear a song way too much. You know, if I have to go out and play uh, a song over and over and over again, that's just not fun to play. That might get irritating, but... Uh, Do we ask what the least fun song of any catalog of anything you've ever played? Your band, any band ever? Like, like Blister in the Sun. Like, I don't ever want to play that song again. Uh, well, the song, some songs stress me out. Um, there's, uh, Mr. Brightside? Let him answer the question. <laughs> Yeah, uh, uh, gosh, uh, I know it hurts. Uh, from Alter Bridge is probably the toughest song for me to play live. It's uh, every bit of it. You know, the verse part is awkward, like it hurts almost the wrist to, to play it. And then the solo to me is one of the hardest. I remember sitting down and um, watching Guthrie Govan do a Here Are My Favorite Licks videos. I'm like, oh, I'm going to try this ascending legato string skipped in craziness. And I'm going to put it on my next record and I morphed an idea of his. And then when I went to have to go do it live, and I'm like, why did I do that? <laughs> I think the secret to guys like Guthrie Govan and uh, Joe Bonamassa and these guys that are just next level are how young they started playing. I think they both started like four years old or something. You know, I think there's just a genius you get when you start at that really, really young age that, that just makes you untouchable. Well, your brain too, just the neuroplasticity. I feel like you absorb Siobhan, stuff. when did you start at two? No, I, I started piano when I was four and violin when I, when I was six. But it's true. Like, I mean, it's the same thing even now. That Like, all the stuff that I learned before 18 is in my brain forever. And then after I was 18, I feel like that stuff I have to constantly, like, go back and work on. But there's something, it's just, like, embedded in there. The earlier that I learned it, the more it was stored in my long-term memory. It's weird. Yeah. You, you can learn quickly when you're when you're a kid and it's it's almost unfair that when you just couldn't you know when a kid can't afford to buy a guitar he wants to play right. it three years later he could have been so much better and uh, for sure 
Well, that's yeah. actually something that that's really cool nowadays is you can get like affordable guitars for cheap. Just like you know, we were saying about car, like the standard for stuff is so much better. Because I remember when I first started playing, like their guitars, and you know, that's like the action's so high and they're so unintonated that like you're doing a disservice giving someone who doesn't know how to play this instrument because it's not an instrument. It's literally just like a joke to make you feel horrible about yourself. Whereas, you know, when you're getting into guitar or any instrument, you should get something that's at least good enough to start playing so that like when you learn, you're not being inhibited by what you're playing. You know, you yeah. can actually, your, your, your natural aptitude comes out and you're not restricted by a painter doesn't blame his paintbrushes unless they suck. Yeah. Like they're early court, you know, yeah. It's the worst thing you can do to a player that wants to play. Just give them a shitty guitar and a shitty amplifier. They're going to think they're shitty and make them buy some tab book that has all the wrong notes in it because they, they pay a guy to, to turn one around in a weekend and they're all wrong notes. I bought so many tab books when I was a kid. I thought I was the worst guitar player in the world. So I'm, I'm, I think I bought the Metallica Master of Puppets book. And I'm playing the notes that they're telling me to play, but they're all wrong. I went back years later. I went back through my – back in this thing, I've got a case – I mean a I've got stacks of all my old uh, magazines and books and tab books. I went back there now that I know what I'm doing a little, a little better, and I looked at the tabs. They're completely wrong. Wow. Nobody well, let me ask you this. You just mentioned Master of Puppets. Is it weird for you, because I'm sure you've geeked out like me, to hear a band like Dream Theater try to cover Master of Puppets because you hear John Petrucci trying to be Kirk Hammett, and like we all know, like they just speed up Master of Puppets. It's not really in time, and that's what's awesome about it. They always do it the same, but like it's rushed in my mind because I actually tracked that song, and you can't put it to a grid because it's not to a grid. They don't play to a grid, and listening to someone like John Petrucci and Mike Portnoy play together back when they did that, it was like listening to a grid live. What's that like for you? Like, what, what do you think about that? Because Metallica had this natural feel, but like you go and you try to do it, you see it in like the tab books, and it's all wrong because it's fucking wrong. I, you know, I would love to hear that cover, to be honest with you. I didn't, Dude, I didn't... go online. They do the whole record. Oh, it's oh, weird. No. Wow. Yeah. In it's a cool way, but weird. eerily precise. <laughs> yeah, well, it's like, dude, Kirk Hammett has a has a, a vibrato. Like you mentioned, like, Miles, okay, here's a Miles Kennedy trick. Ask him to imitate, like, fade to black. He can't do it because his vibrato is entirely too good and precise to be able to do that natural, like, because Kirk Hammett has the I didn't practice that way um, vibrato that sounds great for fade to black, but if you're John Petrucci and you've learned meticulously this classical way of vibrato, you can't unlearn that to do the Kirk Hammett. Petrucci's, ne he's one of those other next level guys. You know, he's... He's your classic guy that practiced. I think they said, uh, I think he told me, we, before practice, each of us in Dream Theater had to put in eight hours of practice before we started band practice. <laughs> I listened to, I have a video, I have a high eight video of him. Literally, oh I was backstage and all he's doing is practicing with a Zoom 505 and a metronome, <laughs> just doing scales yeah. before the show, like a fucking maniac. And it's just like, and Steve Morse is walking around like drinking apple juice or something. And John Petrucci is in front of Steve Morse still practicing. And it's like, oh my God, he doesn't stop ever. Yeah, well, it, it shows. One time I was at NAMM and we were, we were performing um, and I was backstage with Vinnie Moore and, and Petrucci. And Petrucci had broken his wrist or something. Me, me and Vinnie Moore are sitting there talking guitar and playing some licks. And I was like, I'm trying to learn this. I think it was, I was learning a Robin Ford song. And I was like, this one lick is, is baffling me. And then Vinnie Moore's like, here's how you do it. And he plays it real quick. And then I look at Petrucci. I'm like, I bet you're like, give me that 
damn guitar. You want to play guitar so bad right now. And he's like, yes, I want to play right now. <laughs> With all your guitar buddies and you got a broken wrist and everybody's oh talking. God. Oh, God. I yeah, or you'd be like Steve Vai and just say, I don't even need that hand. Right, yeah. He's like, oh, you got all these guys doing periphery? Well, I'm just going to play better than you guys where you're all lip syncing. And everyone that really knows me is never going to question <laughs> that I'm actually playing better than you like this because I'm Steve. Someone needs to take I'm that instrument away from you, Ben. It's like He's sitting gonna... strumming. That's what he does. One hand. No, I'm talking about song. you right One now. One hand, Siobhan. <laughs> he doesn't even need another hand because he's Steve. Yes. What about Jason Becker? He doesn't need another hand either, does he? Yeah. <laughs> One-handed guitar, guys. That's right. Well, look Making at uh, look at Michelangelo Badio. <laughs> yeah. One hand. One hand backwards in stereo. Yeah, but that's also an example of, but how awesome is Michelangelo Badio? He says Badio, because I swear to God, like, Michelangelo Badio, you hear that guy talk? I, he's the greatest guitarist, but, like, does he have an awesome life? Does he go out, like, I, I'm not saying he's a bad guy, I don't know him, but, like, I don't see him, like, oh. going on his private jet being the greatest guitar player in the world, and then going oh, and eating yeah. his Grey Poupon. I feel like he might have to go play that smelly club in New York, and you're like, do you want to be, I feel like his quality of life should be better being that good. Oh, I remember, um, I've hung out with him a lot. He's one of the nicest coolest guys ever. he's awesome and i've i've played guitar with him i don't know 50 times and it's he's just, like the greatest guitar so i'm just ragging on him because he literally is the best he's so good I'll, I'll go you know i was hanging out with him at nam and uh we went over by the dean booth and his, i think his manager came over and he's like yes you know during nam i signed up to 45 clinics you know like in one in a couple days so he does the clinic thing like just kills it so yeah. he's and I went to go see one of his clinics in Tampa. He puts on the backing tracks and just kills it. And uh, well, he, yeah, lo- dude, he, d- he loves the he loves the guitar. He abs- He's doing what he loves. Hap- life success in life is how mu- how happy you are. To me, don't I don't want to get all philosophical, but how, what makes you happy if you can live your whole life doing that? He is just as happy as he was back in the eighties uh, playing guitar. Now you know. He's, I'm happy yeah. that you just made me look like an idiot because first off, I love Michelangelo. Bainey you did that all yourself, Ben. No, I do that all the time. Yeah, Because he gave me the keys that. to the Lamborghini a long time ago and I never took them. Um, and that the fact is, is that you're absolutely right. Like if it makes you happy, as long as you can play music or do what you love, like that's, what's so important. And the subtext to everyone who's ever been hyper famous or hyper good or hyper successful on our show is that they just have a passion and it's never ending and it's not about anything other than they love it. And to hear that, it's really, it warms my heart because it's good to know versus like, you know, the stories you hear about, you know, the other guitar players out there that aren't the nicest people, but play great. It's good to hear something like, oh, he's just happy playing guitar. He's so excited just to play whether there's a million people there or five people there. And it makes it so much better for me. And he's, he's, yeah, he's the kind of guy that everybody meets him and they love him. You know, he comes out to, uh, he lives in Milwaukee and comes out to our shows in Chicago all the time in Milwaukee. My family lives there, so they all come around. They love Michelangelo. They're like, is Michelangelo coming out? And he's just, just a good guy. And, yeah. But it's hard, to, it's hard to learn. You know, I like to play with guitar players and learn from each and every person. Um, it's hard for me to learn from, from him because his, his picking style, he hovers with his three fingers on the, on the guitar and picks kind of hovering, and I just yeah. can't. You know, I can. He can teach me. Like I, I like this arpeggio. I like this scale, or, or whatnot. But it, I like to look at the, the underlying technique, and it's so hard because it's so different. And he told me he's uh, left-handed, so he's, you know, that's why he picks the way he does. Oh, interesting. But, yeah. 
it's crazy to, to just because of you know the circumstance and everything that's probably led to him developing such a unique style that is you know brought him to the place where if you see that video you're like oh that's that's you know no one else is doing that like it at that level it's we, it's incredible we've had him get on stage and play with us in Alter Bridge and do <laughs> some shit our fans yeah they, they love that when he came up he just killed it that's but, amazing uh, well he is he is like the Olympics of guitar playing. And it's one of those things where, like, yeah, if you want to get inspired, it's like that dude could do more with his not good hand than like I could ever do with the, like seven hands. And it's it is inspiring, but it also again brings us back this full cycle of for me, I love the technique, but I can hum your songs. I can't hum a lot of the Michael Andrews, and he writes awesome stuff and all that. And I know speed kills and all that, but for me, I think you know I. I've learned after listening to the Jason Beckers and the amazing guitar players that I, I still would rather a guy like uh, Elton John or a Billy Joel is, or a Freddie Mercury as a songwriter, personally, myself, just because I, res I resonate, not respect, but I resonate more with somebody who can do a really cool progression and modulate really well like you guys do. Like To hear Siobhan say, oh, all your chords were unexpected, but it wasn't jazz tells me yeah. that like it's actually really good Yeah, like from a perspective that I don't understand either. Hey, that's, I think that's, you got to keep people guessing, you know? It's, Tell uh, that to your PR person. All the chords were unexpected. Siobhan Cronin. Star <laughs> I love no, that. no, but that's, you know, that's, it's so true. Miles, Miles is very good at that too. Like he, uh, he just put out a new record and, um, you know, if you listen to the title track, it's, it's a lot of that going on where it, it's a change. You're like, wow, I didn't see that coming, but it's perfect. You know, I love that. When it sounds so different, you don't see it coming, but it couldn't be anything else after you've heard it a couple of times. Yeah. Incredible. Well, well, you know who reminds me of that a lot? Who, and, and who he, reminds you, Ben? Well, I'm, I'm telling you. Like, <laughs> this like, Ben's Miles, getting to like, the epic end when of I show listen rant. to Miles and I, okay, because th this person came before, it, it, for me, in music history, uh, when I listened to Miles, the and I really got deep into his catalog and what you guys have done, it's a, the thing I love the most about Chris Cornell was if you go listen to his solo records and, and all of Soundgarden is that his chords progressions are all unexpected and there's such beautiful melodies over this weird ass shit you're like i did not <laughs> expect that that chord to sound so sad when it's a major but it's chris cornell and that's kind of what i felt about like a lot of your music and again with uh, when i first dug into miles as a singer and him playing guitar himself was that like wow it, he really knows how to like i did not expect him to go that way and it's the road less traveled and i dig it kim fahill kim fahill is one of my favorite Right, you know, guitar part writers, you know, and, and I got a planet. I got, a, I, I take a lot from Soundgarden. Um, you know, as, as a songwriter, I really look up to Soundgarden is one of my favorites. You know, I remember watching Headbangers Ball and, and uh, Loud Love video came on and I was sold. I bought everything they, they ever did. And, uh, you know, I think that era, you know, when I was a young songwriter, I think Soundgarden, Alice in Chains was a real, I, I think Cantrell is one of the greatest modern rock and roll songwriters well how long did it go no, in your life sorry ben's gonna stop talking now and you're sorry. gonna yeah. continue we apologize he gets cranky after two hours uh, uh, i'll take my ball now thank you Corey. Uh, I, I just i just think cantrell is one of the greatest modern rock writers you know as far as what i like you know his chord progressions his guitar riffs and everything are, are awesome um you've got to do some tours with him and uh um yeah it was always just great to kind of watch him um but uh like I said, I'm much more of a fan of songwriting than I am of song of guitar playing. I love guitar players, but 
I'm more inspired by watching um, Derek Trucks than I am watching a super, super top-notch technical shredder um, because it's not what I do. I sat down as a kid and I played, uh, tried to play all that stuff, the Yngwie stuff, the Michelangelo stuff. I try, I spent hours doing it and I pulled some of it off, but I, I failed most of it, but that's my world. I, I like to listen to the, um, like I said, the Derek Trucks or the. So are you, are you looking for a unique voice essentially? Like something that's, you know, very individual sounding. I wish I could play like those guys, you know, it's just not in me yet. It could be in me somewhere deep down inside, but, um, I, you know, I've played so much. I played my style so much over the years. I think it's hard to switch gears now at my age and be like, all right, I'm going to just be a, I'm going to sound like an authentic. Hold on, you reference Alex Skolnick. He went from Testament and I, I implore you to listen to his jazz trio. They're badassery. So don't you, if Alex Skolnick can go from Testament to that beautiful one. Well, he probably jazz. had that within. I think he always kind of had that sort of fascination. He just Did didn't he? really, I mean, I, I think so. Maybe. Fred and jazz kind of live almost in the same universe when it, when it's up, up here. I think, yeah. I, th- I think jazz and Mississippi Delta blues is very different. You know, right. I, I, up doing that jump, that's a radical difference in your, in your approach, you know? Um, so that being said, I'm very inspired by all those guys, but as far as like unique players these days, there's so many, I'm really inspired by, like I spent all day yesterday trying to learn a solo by Sean Tubbs. I think he's one of the greatest um, lesser known, incredible guitar players. He's the kind of guy where um, I remember one night I was on tour and I was looking up pedal demos and he did a pedal demo for this. Um, I forget what pedal, I think it was the dude overdrive. And I saw the solo and I was immediately blown away. And then I clicked on his name and he had hundreds of maybe not hundreds, but maybe <laughs> 50 <laughs> of videos of, of doing demos. Every solo there's at least three licks. I'm like, I have to know that lick. I have to know that lick. He's absolutely. And if you guys haven't heard of him, insane. Yeah, I'm going to say it again. Sean Tubbs. Sean Tubbs. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to totally look it. him up. And that's actually how I found Phil X from Bon Jovi, which is why when I saw Bon Jovi, I wasn't mad at all that Richie Sambora was there. I was actually happy about Phil X. Not that I don't love Richie Sambora, but it, have you seen Phil X do all those old demos? You're like, yeah, man, here's my 1959 Les Paul. And he starts like playing Rush and Van Halen. And he's, oh my sick, God. he's just owning it. He has uh. a five neck guitar and he's just like out of his mind spitting gum at you. And I'm just like, this guy is the coolest. And then he ends up being in Bon Jovi, and I'm like, good move, John. If you're going to replace like one of the greatest, most underrated guitarists of all time, Mr. Richie Sambor, get me Phil X from Canada. Because those Canadians, and let me tell you, because of Kelly Carelock from Lost Symphony, they have something in the water that makes them insane. My best Phil X story is uh, we were down in South America playing uh, uh, Rock and Rio. I think it was 185,000 people. My first time there. And uh, me and Phil X ran into, ran into each other backstage. We had just performed. It was all these bands, and then it was Alter Bridge, Tears for Fears, Bon Jovi. So me and Phil went down underneath, you know, through the crowd to underneath to the uh, soundstage and watched Tears for Fears um, in South America in front of 180,000 people. It was an unforgettable, badass. I mean, I, I thought. I mean, I love '80s music, so yeah, that was. Listen, Tears That's for Fears, uh, I'll just say it, 
because I'm going to paraphrase my brother with this band instead of Journey. He usually says Journey. You either like Tears for Fears or you don't like fun. So like, you know what I mean? Like I love Tears for Fears. So anyone that's like, oh, that's like, that's not even a lame thing to like. That's, that's, it's a stupid thing not to like. I, it just reminds me of your, your childhood. So I loved it. You know, it was great. Then I got to see Bon Jovi with Bill X at the, uh, on the guitar, which is How was awesome great. are his pipes? He's another guy that you're like, that guy could just sing and he'd be fine. Like a Bumblefoot where you're like, oh my, he sings for Asia while he plays guitar. Okay. That guy's insane. Absolutely. Pipes of gold. <laughs> Big session guy too. Yeah. Yeah, man. Doing it all. Well, listen, Mark, uh, this has been amazing. Uh, we appreciate your time coming to the end of our second hour here. Part two. Um, yeah. Thank you so much for yeah being so generous with your time. It was so cool to get to know you and yeah. hear some of your trade secrets. <laughs> yeah. And, and on a personal level, seriously, you know, you, you had a huge impact on me uh, when I was learning guitar and, and especially in terms of writing like, you know, catchy tunes that people actually wanted to hear and not just sitting there trying to play scales. So, awesome. uh, you know, it's, it's been it's been wonderful to hear your thought process and, and kind of what you've been up to. I will echo Corey because I very rarely say this, but when I first heard like when Creed came out and I know like, Hey man, it's like an ex-girlfriend you're talking about it. But like when you guys first came out, I rem it was one of the first bands I ever internalized. Like I like this heaviness and like, it's cool because they were able to mix like the, the catchiness of like the pop thing, but with like the heavy I want in my heart. Cause I'm angry at my dad. And like, I felt that in your tone. And that was the first time I actually thought to myself, uh, like literally I thought to myself, like, I want to sound like that. So I, I absolutely send, you know, my respect to you because I've been chasing tone ever since and I'm nowhere near as close, but I've tried. <laughs> and well, listen, as the non-guitar player here, the band I play with is called Star Set and we've played on festivals with Alter Bridge and I've always seen the name, you know, on the bill and I haven't really listened to your music much and I went and listened to it and I have to say, like, as a violinist, I was completely fascinated by like, like I said, the tonality, the chords, everything is so interesting. So I'm really, really looking forward to next time we're on a festival together. I'm going to come check you guys out, and I'll, I'll have a better understanding now having talked to you. I think you guys are great. I've checked you guys out on those festivals. I think you guys oh, are great. Thank, oh, that's awesome. So cool. Isn't it adorable that Mark Germani has, has checked you out? But you're I know. Like, I I'll feel... find you guys next time. Yeah. No, but I, you know, I like to understand people's music before I go see it. You know, I like to have listened to it and thought about it. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I'll appreciate it more now. Well, I remember you guys had a huge stage set up, like massive. Oh yeah, massive. Of... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all of the outer space guys. Subtlety, and the crazy... subtlety is not in their dictionary. It's not that's a for star sure. set thing. <laughs> But uh, we gotta do something different in this day and age. That's that's definitely doing something different. They're saying yeah. the standard way cool. too high. They're like, we're gonna make it a rave, a DJ thing, but secretly a metal <laughs> show. But also, we're gonna play Led Zeppelin, and we have a violinist. P.S. Our singer's dreamy, but also emo. It's like it's entirely too much for me to even understand. But I'm like, we're just a bunch this. of nerds. That's all. But, <laughs> yeah, we're gonna definitely be staying uh, tuned for your new record. Um, you know, keep us updated on it. If you ever want to come back on and tell our twelve fans about your new record, we're, we're happy Please. to share that with them. <laughs> Please. Thank you so much for your time. Like, yeah. I can't even tell you how much we appreciate it. And we appreciate our friend Steve Void for hooking yeah. us up. Because, man, yeah. not only did he allow me to, to talk to Beverly and give me the personal hello, which is great because I, I hope PRS is like, I, I love PRS. I have millions of them. And not millions, but a lot. And I, I also, you know, again, can't tell you how much, like, in my heart, like, I've I don't want to meet my heroes, but like everyone has said to you that, that like this guy is awesome and he's nice. And I met you years ago and you were so nice to me that I, I just have to say that 
this is one of those moments where I feel better about your music listening to it. Whereas like there's so many guys I've met where I'm just like, I don't, I can't listen to that anymore because I just know the truth. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, I hear you. I've met a few of those along the way, but most of the people. Yeah. <laughs> Well, we appreciate your time, man. Guys, check out 2020.com, 2020-dd.com. And maybe marktramani.com. We're not sure. If you type yeah. in Alter Bridge into anything yeah. or say into Alexa or Just Apple Google or Spotify or television or your Roku, we'll, we'll it'll have get the you links. there. We'll have the links. We'll make it happen. <laughs> and we'll see you guys next time. Take it easy. Thank you, as always, for checking out this episode of 2020. Please visit 2020-d.com. Like and subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss out on future episodes. This week's throwback clip is from episode number 66, featuring John Denae of Anthrax and Shadows Fall. Check it out. I think, too, sometimes uh, people's flaws on, on guitar like make them, give them their their own style. Because, yeah. uh, you know, like I, I, certain guys are awesome alternate pickers, or like uh, some guys are awesome legato. You just have to kind of run with what your strength is. Or uh, my my thing is my ear is not that great. So whenever I would try to learn a song, I'd mess up and I'd write my own stuff. And now I'd just go off like, well, that's, that's kind of cool. That sounds cool. I'll just stop trying to learn that now and just keep going <laughs> with this. Hello, everybody. I'm Bruce. And I'm Nolan. And this is the Corner of Gray Street Podcast. As longtime Dave Matthews Band fans, we set out to create a podcast to dive deep into the past, present, and future of DMB. Not only do we recap and review shows within an ongoing tour, but we revisit past shows from throughout the band's history, conduct interviews with a wide variety of guests with ties to DMB, and create unique and exclusive content like our Concerts on the Corner series. Whether you're a fan of the band or just a fan of great music, we think you'll find something you'll enjoy. We can't wait to see you on The Corner of Gray Street.